Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of our storytelling family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme. This episode highlights our story slammers. We need your support. Text the code STORYPOD to 44321. During the slam, we leave space for members of our audience to share a five-minute story. This summer, we are following the yellow brick road with tales told live without notes or inhibitions in the walled yard of the old Idaho penitentiary. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. We're discovering big, hairy stories with our theme, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, from members of our audience who found the courage to spontaneously share. We'll be hearing from random members of the Lullaby League and the Lollipop Guild. There's no place like late night. There's no place like late night. Let's get ready for a big, hairy story from the one, the only, Beth Norton, everybody. Oh, I just put my name in the bucket in case no one else did. But and I got a story, big, hairy story. Um, I'm glad I'm following Sophie because my story also has to do with courage. I, one of the things I love to do is to go backpacking. And um, there was a time in my life when... I never, I didn't feel like I could ever fully be comfortable and be myself around other people. Um, there was just too much there. And so I, I really only felt like I could be myself when I was by myself and specifically when I was in nature. And so I, I did a couple, I've done three solo backpacking trips, just short trips, not long trips. It's terrifying. Um, to, I have a lot of uh, women who ask me, uh, about solo backpacking who are interested and scared for good reason. Um, it, or maybe not for good reason. I don't know. Fear's, fear's kind of um, a weird thing. Um, I have been on, on every one of my backpacking trips, just experienced this kind of low level hum of fear. I think as any woman does when you're alone in a situation where you could be attacked at any time, right? <laughs> um, and my first, uh, my first solo backpacking trip was on a little stretch of the AT in Maine. I just did a few days there, and it's a well-traveled trail, um, and I had a great experience. All went well. Um, my second solo backpacking trip was on the Long Trail in Vermont, um, which I had been planning for a little while. Uh, I did a three-night trip, um, and the first day... Um, everything went great. It was it was difficult, but wonderful and beautiful. And when you're backpacking by yourself, um, you know, if you have anything on your mind, you'll just hear it and you'll hear it and you'll hear it. You'll just hear your same story, your same thoughts kind of over and over and over until, you know, eventually you get bored of it or it gets worked out or something and it kind of releases. And that's what happened to me on the first day. The second day, um, I decided to get creative and I went off trail um, and went down to this, you know, the long trail in, in Idaho or in um, Vermont. I don't know if anybody's ever been there, but it's one of the oldest uh, established through hiking trails. Um, and the trails out there are they're just they're old and they're gnarly. They're made out of these like big stones. And it's kind of like a full body workout to get yourself um, through these trails. You got to kind of pull yourself up over these big these big rocks and up these ladders and things. And actually, the um, Appalachian Mountain Range is one of the oldest ranges 
on our on our in our planet you would think it would be like the himalayas because they're so tall but actually what happens with mountains when they get old just like people they start to shrink um so the appalachia is like one of the oldest ranges um i i got off trail and i ended up in like this gully and i had to kind of dig my way out and it was a unnecessary unnecessarily harrowing day i tore my boots to shred the the soles were flapping. Um, yeah, I had to tie them on with paracord and like duct tape them, and I felt felt like a real badass. Um, and kind of summited the the biggest peak in Vermont, which is Mount Mansfield. Looks like the face of a man, um, and felt very proud. Another great thing about the Long Trail, and one of the reasons why I felt comfortable soloing there as well as on the AT, is because they're really established campsites. Like I said, it's old. It's not like Idaho where you can just kind of go off and camp in the grass or wherever. It's wide open spaces. It's not like that. So they have sort of these lean-tos that are set up, and they have shelters. Um, so my second night, I stayed at a shelter called Taft Shelter, just on the other side of the nose. And um, they even have people that are staying there. And so, you know, as a single woman, you can feel really safe um, to, you know, sleep in a place where there's other people around. Um, and so I did that and uh, had a fine night. And I woke up in the morning, did my morning stuff. And, um, you know, there's a big, big hustle and bustle of all the other people there. Getting, there's, there was like a youth group there. And, um... <laughs> Hello, Alaska Airlines. Um, I think there was a youth group there. You know, there's a whole bunch. The shelter probably sleeps like 20 or 25 people. And those people kind of throughout the morning had left. And I was the last one there. And I had had my backpack all, all packed up. And um, I decided to just, to just take a moment to go back down the little trail to the water source that was there. Um, just to, like, have a moment and... Um, you know, prepare myself for the next day of hiking. And so I'm bending down uh, next to this really beautiful clear stream and just kind of looking at the water and like splashing my face and, um, you know, putting some water in the back of my neck because it was already hot and, uh, you know, really kind of like washing my hands and um, kind of just getting lost in the, you know, in the, in the nature of things. And when I, when I stood up, I looked up and the first thing I saw was the eye of a bear <laughs> right in front of me. I'm gonna say it was from me to you, but we all know I'm making that up. Um, in the moment, it felt like it was from me to this microphone. Um, but I, I, I looked that bear in the eye and the first thought I had was, um, how did I not notice you before? And I, I swear, and I'm probably projecting here, but I swear the bear thought the same thing about me. <laughs> like, how did I not know that you were right here? And, um, and I just felt a sense of astonishment, not fear. And then I saw on the other side of the bear was her cub. And that's when I got scared and um, pretended like I had friends back at the shelter. I was like, hey guys, look like it's time to go. Uh, also pretended I had a watch and like looked down at it. Uh, remembered my training, I didn't run. I just like walked really quickly while talking to my friends back at the shelter um, and like, like walking back and the bear like couldn't care less. It didn't do anything. It clearly, it was like, this bitch is not a threat. Um, <laughs> 
but I was terrified. I threw my backpack on. I didn't even do the straps. My shoes weren't even really tied. The soles were flapping and I ran. I ran, 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 ran. I ran as fast as I could down that trail until I thought, okay, I'm really going to hurt myself if I don't stop. Um, so I stopped and I tied my shoes and that is my big hairy story. Thank you. Oh, there we go. Keep it going for Sky, everybody. Well, it's 2009, and I just graduated with my undergrad in Spanish and realized I didn't want to teach or translate. So I found a job at a call center, and this call center, the company, had recently expanded into Puerto Rico. And you may be familiar with them. They're a Mormon pyramid scheme that sells candles. And, and I got a great job there, working on the Spanish line. A few months into the job, I was invited down to Puerto Rico for a convention for the consultants and for everyone to drink the Kool-Aid. Well, myself being the lowest man on the totem pole, I asked my supervisor at the call center, and I said, I was like, hey, Samantha, is it all right for me to head down to Puerto Rico? And she was very rigid, very astute in her business acumen, and she said, we're busy, but you can go. I was like, all right, sweet. And I head down there with the VP of the company, who happens to be the brother of the owner. He speaks some Spanish. We go down and crush it three days in Puerto Rico. Have a ball. I'm the muscle. Move the boxes, so forth. And the last evening, I was like, all right, well, I'm having dinner with the VP, celebrating. Everything went really smooth. It was just fun. So I called up Samantha earlier in the day. I was like, hey, Samantha, I got an idea. How about I change my flight? Stick around Puerto Rico for another five days with the weekend in there, and I'll be back. And she said, absolutely not. We're busy. Come home. And I was like, okay. And that evening with the VP, I was like, hey, so I was thinking everything went well, and I was looking up this hostel and looking at flights and thinking about sticking around five days. And he said, a hostel? I would love to drop you off. He's like, yeah. Let's do it. What, what are your plans? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, that's perfect. And sure enough, I was like, well, I'll just deal with it later, I guess. <laughs> and he does. He drops me off at the hostels, a great guy. And I'm there and hanging out. And sure enough, these two Danish divers show up, Anders and Huyen. And they're up for an adventure. And I was like, hey, guys, I speak Spanish. Let's rent a car and just wander the island for a few days. Totally up for it. Now, in getting to know these two fellas, they had just come from the Bahamas, where they were diving for sharks. And they had pictures and videos of themselves right there within you know, a few meters of the guide who had taken a shark, say about 15 feet, had rubbed its nose and turned it into a tonic immobility state and had the shark at a 90 and holding it. And I'm like, these guys are wild, <laughs> yeah? Well, and in talking to the hostel owner, we're like, well, what should we get up to? And he said, well, you ought to hit up the bioluminescent bays. And there's some where you're in kayaks and very eco-friendly and so forth, and you know, hats off to them. But he said, you should head down to my buddy Juan and he's got a boat, he's got beer, and he'll let you just jump on in and have a good time. I was like, oh yeah, I'm with two divers. 
So that's what we do. We head down to the south of the island, meet up with Juan, we have some beers, and he takes us out about an hour on a moonless night, and it's so dark, and we're all having fun. And he says, all right, here's the equipment, there's the water, you have an hour, I'm gonna blink these light three, three times, and you have 10 minutes, and then we're leaving. Like, oh, kind of put a damper on the mood there. It's it got a little heavy. And I'm looking at the divers and the other folks, and no one's doing anything. It's like, what? Oh, like, this, we're here. So I just grabbed the snorkel and the mask and jumped. And midair, where my feet are off the boat, I've yet to hit this black surface. And I said, I don't know how deep this is. I have no idea. And I hit it when I came back up. Thankfully, I'm in the middle of a bay, so plenty of space for animals underneath you. <laughs> <laughs> and we got kind of used to it. And I have to say, once you kind of bring yourself out of the fear and kind of be in that moment, I was swimming, and I am a bit furry. So with this fur, every single hair was agitating the water to where there was a mixed neon pixie dust rolling across each one of my arms. And that is wild, and I only had alcohol in me. So if, like, this is nuts. So sure enough, the light blinks, and I scrambled back. I was like, I'm not joking around. Let's get on this boat and the divers and so forth, and uh, no pictures came out, which is even better that way. The following night, it's our last night there, we're taking it chill, because we had a wild time when the car, we even hit up the radio telescope that had collapsed a couple years ago. And I said, well, let's keep it easy, let's grab some beers and get a pizza. I said, sure. Order the pizza, got a car, not too far. We're driving, scoop the pizza, and I'm with Huin, and we're driving along, he's got a couple pizzas on his lap, and it just feels a little different. Like the roads are like slightly less busy, doesn't feel, and we both look at each other, and I'm driving the wrong way on a one-way in the bus lane. It's a different color. I am way off. And we both look at each other like, this is not good. And for good or for bad, there are two cops that light us up immediately. And so they come up, and the traffic had just barely got to the next light, so all of it stopped. I'm with Huin, the wrong way on the wrong uh, road, two cops. He's got pies in his hand, and he goes, oh no, we're in trouble. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, yeah, man, I was like, here's the thing, I don't speak any Spanish, okay? Like, that's how we're gonna work this. And he's like, okay. He goes, well, I don't speak Spanish. I was like, I got that. <laughs> got to pay attention, man. Uh, and the officer that approached is one of the biggest human beings I've seen in person. He was up and down and always massive. It's like, this is interesting. So he comes up, and I roll down the window. And as polite as can be, I was like, officer, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm on the wrong side of the road. And you know, he's like, papeles. And I'm like, so um, I don't know papel, but um, is that the road we're on? And he goes, no, no, no. And he walked around the car. The other guy walked around the car. 
It, thankfully, the car smelled like pizza because it didn't smell like pizza a couple days ago. <laughs> and so after they were done, and I got up and did a bit of a sobriety test, and everything went by, and these poor people that are stopped, they continued to stop, and they go, all right, well, just go ahead and do a loop. So they had to move their cars back so that I could do a U-turn to further inconvenience these people. Um, but with it, I make it back to Boise. And I've had these stories, I've had these adventures. And I get back and sure enough, Samantha's there waiting for me, right by my desk when I get there. She's like, Skylar, you need to just go ahead and step over here. It's like, okay, let's go by the, let's go in this office that's in a you know, chic little space with glass. And she rips me apart up and down, left and right, just tells me how inaquatic I am. And so she finally says, hey, do you have anything to say for yourself? I said, well, Samantha, I'm really sorry that you're mad about this. <laughs> it's just, I mean, let that sit for a second. <laughs> just let that, take that, like, let that sit for just a second. And, and, uh, and so with that, in as hairy as it was, I kept my job at least for another six months. So thank you. Keep it going for Sonia, everybody. Thank you. So, like Ben, I also went to camp. Uh, it was different. I was 10. <laughs> and it was... <laughs> it was drama camp. <laughs> I got to do what I felt like were the most amazing things. I got to do stage combat and improv. And the whole culmination for me was being part of the musical production of The Lion King. And there were so many of us kids that we each just got like parts of parts. So I got one line in one of the songs. So I got to sing, uh, you'll be a mighty king, uh, enemies beware. And when I got on stage during the culmination of the camp, I felt like the mightiest king singing that. I uh, felt like Jonathan Taylor Thomas in the animated version of The Lion King. I was pretty sure I sounded better than he did. And it was, it was a wonderful moment for me. Fast forward five years and I was entering my freshman year in high school and I was really excited about drama still, but our town wasn't. In fact, they had cut the drama program. So I decided to go out for a choir and my mom was really involved in music. So I tried out for the choir with her there in the audition, which looking back now sounds so strange. And uh, probably under duress, the choir director let me in to elite choir. And on the first day of my freshman year, they, the senior students in the class had everyone come back to sing just to make sure we really were elite. And it turns out I wasn't. <laughs> 
<laughs> which is a terrible thing to find out your freshman year, the first day of high school. And I pretty much gave up singing after that, uh, mumbled the words in the car, on the radio. I would avoid karaoke at all costs. I, prior to this, I loved singing and I was the first person in my teenage years to jump on a trampoline and sing passionately to any Moulin Rouge song. <laughs> and uh, fast forward a few more years, um, several more in fact, fast forward a few more, and it was a pandemic. I'd I'd gotten into improv and not being able to do that in person, I started doing it online. And I saw this class for musical improv, which sounded terrifying. And something that was written there kind of struck me and said, it doesn't matter how you sound or how clever you are, or how good of a singer you are. It just matters showing up. And so I went to this class and <laughs> did these exercises every day and we sang and we made up songs on the spot which sounds hard but it was somehow easier in the moment and at the end of this I got up for our final performance it was all virtual and uh i sang this made-up song with <laughs> my improv partner who was thousands of miles away and i felt once again like the mightiest king <laughs> thanks so much y'all <laughs> make a lot of noise for greg everybody All right. Thank you so much to tonight's presenters. I think we've seen such a great example of vulnerability. And gosh, I could only hope to be as funny. Um, um, Matthew, Matthew, uh, a tip of the hat to you. My story has got a little bit of a, a, a similarity to yours. Uh, years ago, when I first moved to Boise, it's more than 10 years ago, I moved to Boise, one of Boise's most interesting properties. It's downtown Boise on the Basque block. Uh, there are Basque folks in the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> of course, it's Boise. So uh, behind the old Cyrus Jacobs Uberaga house, there's a, there's a carriage house uh, across from Bardonnay. I rented that carriage house. So I was the sole occupant of about a, a sole block of downtown Boise. And uh, it was a really cool house. I learned more in a couple of years living there than I could have ever imagined uh, about Basque culture and Basque way of life and Basque, Basque presence in, in Idaho. But uh, my wife, or my girlfriend at the time, uh, and I went away for a Memorial Day weekend, my now wife, sitting up here on the hill. Um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> She, uh, uh, we went away for a three-day weekend, and I dropped her off at her house, and I left my cell phone there, and I went home. And, uh, and it was a, a cold, rainy spring evening, like we've had numerous uh, of this spring. And um, um, I woke up at three-ish in the morning to shouting inside my house. 
you guys can imagine the chill that would go up your spine to hearing when you're, you live alone and you hear shouting inside your house. And, uh, and I sat up and I thought, I'm not hearing this. And then I heard it again. And then I heard the door to the stairs open. And I lived on the second floor of a two-story building. And I heard steps coming up this, um, or I saw, heard footsteps coming up and the soft in and out hush of breaths. And so there was a wolf in the lion's den or however, whatever, how do I fit that into tonight's theme? Is that, is this, this is my moment to do that, right? <laughs> But I was scared, uh, as you might imagine. And, uh, but, but instinct took over and, uh, and I had a guttural push of emotion and I sprang from the bed and I ran to the top of the steps and I peered in to enough to surmise that the person who was coming up those stairs wasn't armed. And I jumped into the stairs and shouted with everything I had and I forced that person down. I backed him, it was a him, I backed him down the stairs, into what was the kitchen, out into the front entryway, out through the front door. I flipped the, the lock on the front door, and it was he and I, out in the rain, door locked, me buck naked. <laughs> with the total stranger who had just broken into my house. And here's where it gets weird. This guy, I, I, I had been eye to eye enough with him at this, at this time to, to smell his breath. He had a lot of whiskey on him or something like that. And, uh, and clearly maybe a, a few other things. So I wasn't totally threatened by him anymore. Um, but we were outside together and I wasn't gonna go fish out my Heideke and go back inside and be like, <laughs> have at it. <laughs> so we started shooting the shit. <laughs> <laughs> and and he wanted to play army games. <laughs> he wanted me to cover him while he ran through the rain to the next corner of the next building. <laughs> and he goes, "All right, cover me." And so I stood like that, and, and he ran to the corner of the building. And then he's crouched and he goes, go, go, go. <laughs> so I ran over next to him. <laughs> and I sat next to him. <laughs> At that point, we were underneath the covered front porch of the uh, Cyrus Jacobs house. You guys understand that, that house that's in, across from Bardenay? It's got a nice covered porch. And there's, there are wood benches around the outside. It's three in the morning on Memorial, on the Memorial Day Monday. There's nobody in downtown. My cell phone's at my girlfriend's house. And uh, so he and I sat on a bench and had a little heart to heart. Uh, he was, I, I don't need, probably don't need to go into details. He was not a very happy person. And, uh, um, and the story, I mean, I, I suppose to fast forward, he he did he ended up going to jail that night uh, Vera, uh and not to belabor the point <laughs> it was it was a surreal evening um that has become chapter three of a novel that i've written uh, uh a mystery that's set in boise in downtown uh, downtown boise in southwest idaho it's thank you thank you very much
is a six-year-long project. It's called Deception of the Diamond D Ranch. Uh, you can get it at Rediscovered downtown. But... Uh, uh, and, and it's obviously been highly fictionalized, but the emotional core of what I just relayed to you uh, th th remains. But uh, yeah, a, uh, a, a lion and the wolf's den, or the wolf and the lion's den, or however you fit it in tonight. Thank you. All righty, can I get Thane to the stage? Thane? Yes, right off in front, I love it. Perfect, keep, him, keep it going for him. My story begins in the Virgin Islands. I lived there for a winter of six months, and I would never re recommend this to anybody. <laughs> uh, it's the highest crime rate in the United States is there, um, and that's how my story begins. It was my uh, birthday. Uh, I turned 27 years old, and I got really excited. I was going to leave the country for the first time in my life. I went to the British Virgin Islands. Ooh. <laughs> um, so we got all of our passports ready, uh, had four other roommates at the time, and we get everything ready in the house, and there's one roommate that has to work that day, so he doesn't get to go. Um, leave him behind. We get on the boat, ferry across, because we figured... That was the best way to get us all across instead of flying. Um, get all of our all, all of our things, and we don't really know what it's going to be like uh, through the port of entry. And turns out it's very relaxed. You just kind of waltz through, and no one checks passports. No one does anything but just says, "Oh yeah, here you go." Uh, very lax laws there. Uh, Go to the, the, the British Virgin Islands, see the bats. I would recommend that. That's a beautiful spot. Uh, it's on Virgin Gorda. And it's one of the oldest sites in the world for uh, humans to take bats. It's wonderful. Uh, through this whole adventure, I've had this feeling of like, hmm, something's going to go wrong, but I don't know what it is. And... You know, I'm traveling, uh, you know, drugs are rampant every, every, everywhere over there. I mean, you can buy cocaine at the gas station if you really want to. <laughs> and uh, drug dealers in the streets constantly. Um, I've heard stories of people getting pulled over by the police and being forced to buy drugs. Uh, very, very interesting, corrupt government they have there. Uh, so... We get back, it's my birthday party, um, and we notice, the first thing I notice when I walk into my house is the oven, the, uh, the, the bottom drawer where all the pans go is open, and I'm like, that's, no one cooks, like, the guy that was here was not cooking, and uh, so I'm like, close the drawer, and like, this is kind of interesting, so ask him, you know. What, what was the drawer open for? Like, were you looking for some, like, pots? Like, it didn't make any sense at all. He's like, oh, I thought you guys did that before you left. Like, oh, that's interesting. And start to realize that the house isn't how we left it. And he thought we moved things. And it turned out we got robbed. 
uh, lost, I don't even know, three or $4,000 worth of electronics. Uh, they stole uh, a passport that one of the roommates had left, took her uh, driver's license as well, and ended up being a really interesting birthday. <laughs> uh, so we have a couple suspects because it's a small island. It's 30 miles. Literally, everyone knows everyone on the whole island. So we start going down and uh, being like, do you think it's this guy at work? Do you think it's this guy at work? Or who do you think stole this stuff? So we turned into investigators that night and we drive to, you know, all these people that we suspected. We had two for sure. So we were like, it's got to be these guys. Go to the first house and we're like, all right, send them a text message. See what, see if, see if they're home. Like they're home. Like, hey, what are you guys been doing? Nothing. We've just been hanging out, playing games all night. Like, all right, it probably wasn't these guys. So, so we move on to the next suspect, and we're like, all right, this guy works in the kitchen. He's pretty sketchy. <laughs> and uh, so we're walking up, and uh, got some Highlanders with us, and he's telling us, you know, this is a violation, man. You're not supposed to steal from friends. And we're like, well, you know, you know, you're not supposed to do this. So. Walk into his front door and uh, we get a phone call and it's the other roommate, um, the girl that had her passport stolen. She's like, "You guys are dumb. I called the police and the police are here and they're going to do the investigation." We're like, "All right, you know, this probably isn't a good idea to just go like confront random people and through the night." And so we end up going back and talking to the police and they take down a list of electronics, which turned out to be really helpful in the insurance claim. <laughs> so thank you for, you know, Lemon for being more intelligent. <laughs> and that's my story. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Our theme song was composed by Ned Evett. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessari. Please rate and review this podcast to help other story lovers find us. Thanks to guest host Haley Lenhart Weiss and musical guest Louis C. Support this podcast by texting StoryPod to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at www.storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story. <laughs>